Um, I want to talk for a few minutes about perfectionism. Um, you, I don't know about you. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a recovering perfectionist. Like, like I'm not, I'm not hooked on it, but I'm like someone that was hooked on cocaine. But I'm, I'm, you know, like I can smell it. Like, if it's around, I know it's around, and, and I just want to light up. You know, I just want to, you know, roll something up and take some of it. You know. And I'm like that as a, as a perfectionist. I, I like either, either I'm incredibly tidy or incredibly messy. It's just a sign of a perfectionist. If, if I clean the house, which is not very regular, right? But if I clean it, I clean it to an inch of its life. And, and then I think, oh, I can't do that every week, so I, I don't do it, you know? <laughs> and uh, on my desk, my desk is empty. It's just got nothing in. If you come to my, my desk at church, there's no books. There's nothing on the desk, just a light. That's it. It's just the, the sign that a recovering perfectionist is, is around. And, and if I sit down at home to do some work, I've got a, a Donald Trump mug. I make sure it's at the right angle. This is before I even start to prep. I just have a look at all my ornaments. And I've got so many little trinkets, right? And I make sure the clock is in the center, just at the window sill, and make sure the Donald Trump mug is, is just, just the right angle. I've got another one from a PA Sorsha, just angled exactly right. I've got a present from our financial director, just make sure that's a, a Parker pen, just make sure that's angled right. And I just kind of look at it for a while, think, hmm, that's good, right? And I'm just, and I'm just, I'm just setting my, I'm just setting myself up, just, just, I'm, I'm almost, I'm almost going back into something I should never go into. But God's always checking me over perfectionism. I grew up with it. I was born, I was born a perfectionist, and so I wouldn't call it a disease. I, I, it, it's inherent within me. Uh, I, it's like an attraction that I was born with. And I remember when I was in in grade ten that in grade 10 was a bad year for me. I, I had a terrible time in Scotch College in Melbourne. And, uh, and I used to go home, and, and I, because I didn't understand the work that was being given to me, I just thought, I'll just rewrite it in four different color pens. <laughs> and so, uh, so I did it, right? And, and I failed that year, like really failed. But my, my notes look absolutely brilliant. It's just like the perfectionism, and, and this, like it all came to a bit of a crunch where I realized they, I had to put my hands up to God uh, in this summertime because, um, it, you know, when the sun comes out in England, it's a rare event, right? And, uh, and we had a guy in to, to put some paving down and, and to put some pa- uh, paving and to put some uh, decking down. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, and I just kept on staring at it thinking this is almost perfect. I thought if I could just get my grass a little bit greener, this will be perfection. And so I headed down to the hardware store, right? And uh, it's called B&Q in England. And I got myself some stuff that makes grass greener. And you can buy, and I bought, I bought this mega bag. I thought I'm gonna have the greenest grass in all of the world. <laughs> and, and not only that, I thought I bought myself a spreader. So it would be evenly distributed across the lawn. And so I put it in and started to, and I, I was having a field day. Like you, could, you couldn't even see me from five yards away. The dust of this stuff was everywhere. And I finished, and, and as usual in England, it rains. And I thought, this is, this is good that it's raining because it's going to, once the rain goes, it's mixed the chemicals in with the grass. It's just going to be brilliant, right? Until I got a knock on the door from a neighbor, and she said, she said, what's this rust-stained stuff on my path, Dave? And then I looked at my path. 
and there was rust stains. This stuff creates rust stains over my entire path, over the bitumen leading up to my path. I looked at the back of the house. There's rust stains all over my slate, my brand new slate patio and all of the varnish that was on my decking had been removed by this this chemical that had made a decking that I was so proud of now look like it's about 15 years old. I can't even look at it. And then I realized that that in my pursuit for perfection, God drew a line and said, Dave, you're going no further. He got involved. He said, let's go there, Dave. If you want to go back to your addiction, then I'm going to stop it because I love you too much. And so God came in there and he stopped me living in a perfect world. And I suspect there's a lot of things happening in your life right now that are trying to stop you. It's the Spirit of God trying to stop you living in a perfect world. Because humanity and perfection do not mix. It's a bad mix because it creates an addiction. So sometimes God stops you getting all of your ducks in a row. I, I have had to analyze, self-analyze, why am I a perfectionist? And, and the first reason that I, that I think is because I, the love language I grew up on was the love language of results. And, you know, when my dad got degree after degree, and, and, uh, and so we went to the finest of schools and that, and, and, uh, and, and I think this, there was an expectation, because the love language was performance, there was a high expectation upon us to perform. And I think it led me to actually cheat in more exams at school than I actually did authentically. In actual fact, I can't remember one exam that I did authentically. Uh, I think I moderated the statement I just gave two sentences before. I think I cheated on everything. And uh, because of the expectation, like every one of us wants love. And there was an expectation to, to like I thought, to get it, I'm going to have to be perfect. So I think it could come from that. But also it could come from uh, just, re- uh, just a sadomasochistic tendency that humans have that we, we love to be slaves. We love to be servants. We love to whip ourselves. That, that, we, that Stockholm Syndrome, we, we'd, we'd, rather, we'd rather be chained to somewhere than be free. And so because of Stockholm Syndrome, we've invented just about every religion in the world is a religion that whips us. And I think that because perfection is nothing is something you cannot ever get to. It's almost, it's almost like I'm placing myself in, in a situation of slavery to something that, that is a bad taskmaster. And I think that that just might be the reason. It, it might be because I'm slightly autistic. And when you're, when you're a bit autistic, and, and I suspect most men are slightly autistic, that that, that, you know, you, you, you become like somewhat like a fighter plane, Star Wars fighter plane, that when you get, when you get uh, in, the, um, in the plane and you start uh, going through uh, tunnels and going through gullies, and that it, you've just got narrow vision. And I get obsessed by narrow things. And it might be because I'm a melancholic. Melancholics are people who are born to analyze and born to create pathways where there is no pathway. And so melancholics are super detailed people. But it's dangerous. 
And I suspect that some of you have moved into dangerous territory or you're wondering why you've been restricted from certain territories that for everybody else, they're territories of blessing and territories of goodness. So uh, I've just got five reasons why it's destructive. Uh, Number one, because you can't ever be perfect. It triggers self-rejection, self-disapproval and constant condemnation. And it's a bad way to live in constant condemnation that, that you, when I got saved, I just bought a post-it note pack and I wrote down everything I did wrong every day for the first year. And I think some of you are so condemned by your sins because you're measuring everything according to your performance, not according to worthy as the lamb, not according to the performance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, it triggers rejection in others that your standard becomes so high that other people can never match up to your standard. And so you start off with a lot of friends, you finish off with no friends because of this, uh, let's not call it a disease, but this propensity, this affliction of perfection. Number uh, three, it kills all creativity and entrepreneurship because creativity requires you to fail. And because you don't like failure, because you feel like a failure, you've narrowed yourself down to become a legend in your own lounge room, which is not good enough to God. You need to become a legend in the land. And failure is a part of the process of becoming a success. That The road to success is covered with the potholes of failure. And nobody's got the Midas touch. And so some of you need to experiment again and come out from a controlled world and come out into a world where failure again is possible, but you realize that you are not a failure. Number four, it makes us self-consumed. Life is all about your goals, your quests, your healing, your fascination, and it creates a small world, too too small for God and too small for us. You become totally and absolutely self-obsessed. And number five, it creates a second life. The life you project is different to the life you actually live. So you project successville, you live in quitsville. And some of us in this room, you know what I'm talking about. There's two of you. There's the successful Christian you and there's the failing perfectionist, unable to meet the perfection that you so want. So you live in Quitsville and you, you, you oscillate between caring too much for things and caring not at all for anything. Being super tidy and being super messy. Being super smart, super sloppy. Between being very godly and being very ungodly. There are two of you created by this desire for perfectionism. You go from perfectionist to quitter. From perfectionist to whatever. And there's a reason why God doesn't want you to move into a perfect world. It's because it's not His vision. His vision isn't for you to walk perfectly, act perfectly, and live perfectly. God's vision isn't for perfection. God's vision is for excellence. And excellence is a completely different beast 
to unattainable perfectionism. Because excellence is something you can do. It's within your reach. It's a varying standard. And every one of us can live an excellent life. Hence, he's got a vision for you to be absolutely excellent. So people often say excellence is doing the best with what you've got. But that's just a third of your excellence. Excellence is doing the best with what you've got. Excellence is also doing the best with who you are. And who you are today will be different to who you are next year. And it'll be different to who you are the year after. But excellence is doing the best with what you've got. It's doing the best with who you are. And it's doing the best with what you've heard. You know, I, I could never move to Mongolia because God's not spoken to me about Mongolia. I won't eat broccoli because God's not spoken to me about broccoli. There's a lot of things I'm not going to do because I'm not accountable to doing it. My excellence is only associated to my accountability. My accountability is only associated to that which I've heard from God. And so I'm going to be failing in Mongolia and failing with broccoli, but it doesn't matter to God. Because I'm not here to be successful in every area of life. I'm only here to be excellent in the things that He's spoken to me about. And every one of you has the potential to be excellent. Let me pull a few truths just out of the uh, woman who, who, whose, whose uh, two sons, I think, were about to be taken away. And, uh, and the prophet turned up and, and he said to her, he said, what have you got in your household? She said, I've got nothing except a little bit of oil. Let's pick the story up in verse number uh, two. Elijah replied, how can I help you? Tell me what you have in your house. She said, your servant has nothing at all, she said, except a little bit of oil. Elijah said, go and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go outside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into the jars and as each one is filled, put it aside. She left him and afterwards shut the doors behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another. But he replied, there's not another jar. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God and he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debts and you and your sons might live on what is left. So point number one was she had nothing except a little bit of oil. And she used that little bit of oil to create a very big miracle. Excellence is doing the best with what you've got. She didn't have a little bit of gold. She didn't have a little bit of silver. She didn't have a little bit of musical talent. What she had was a little bit of oil. And every one of you in this room it's not right and not true for you to say, I've got nothing. Every one of you has got something. And your future miracle will be dependent upon the excellence of spirit that you apply to the little that you have. Because perfectionist says you've really got nothing or you've just got the beginnings of something, but we're not going to be able to do great things with this. But excellence starts with what you've got. It doesn't start with what you haven't got. And so you want to be constantly mindful with what you've got and be a steward of what you've got. And what she had was a little bit of oil, but that's where the miracle came from. And it's the same with every one of you in this room. Excellence is doing the best with what you have. Uh-huh. But you know, it's also doing the best with who you are in that she went to a neighbor's household and she got as many jars as possible. And there was a point she just said, stop. She filled in, you know, she had, it, it, she, it, she, she grabbed pots, filled in 
the kitchen with pots and the lounge room with pots and bedroom number one with pots and half a bedroom number two. She said, that's it. She said, she said, we got enough pots, right? But the truth is, if she constantly collected pots and, and, and her son had constantly got new pots, the oil would still be flowing now, 3,000 years later. Because it was according to her pots, be it under her. As she poured the oil out, the oil stopped flowing when the last pot was presented. But some of you live under the cloud of condemnation of other people's success stories. And some of you lean into other people's testimony that crucifies your own testimony. It's not according to how they are and the size of themselves. It's according to you and the size of yourself. And it's according to your faith. It's according to the size and the capacity of your heart. She didn't collect a million jars. She's collected according to her capacity. And I would say, stop condemning yourself that you're not as big as you will be next year. And stop putting yourself under the bus because other people are having greater success than you've had. Success and excellence live together, but excellence is doing the best with who you are. And there is a maximum of who you are. It's not endless. There is a limitation of who you are. And if you're a lawnmower, mow the lawn up to the fence. But don't go over and start mowing other people's lawns. There is a limitation to you. And if you could understand that you are limited, that the sky's not the limit. The limit is you. You are limited. If you could maximize your limitation, that's excellent. And it's like a little six-year-old bringing a painting back and the painting's literally rubbish, but because he's doing the very best with who he is, at six years of age, it's excellent. And it's the same with you. Stop comparing your painting to the paintings of other people nearby you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said. And thirdly, she obeyed the word that she'd heard. She gathered pots. She didn't gather smooth stones because that's David's miracle. She didn't, she didn't gather pitchers with, with a candle in it because that's, that's, that's Gideon's miracle. She didn't dig ditches because that's Jehoshaphat's miracle. She's gathered pots. So excellent, excellency is doing the best with the word that you've got. So if your word's about pots, do pots well. But if your word is about stone jars, do stone jars well. If it's about digging ditches in the midst of your valley, dig ditches well. But it's according to the word that God's given you. Excellence is doing the best with what you've got, doing the best with who you are, and doing the best with what you've heard. I'm going to pull up because time's just about up, but... I'll just say a few extra things about excellence before I see some people a little bit, maybe if I said delivered, it's probably too strong, but I realize that in every striving point within our lives, that's where darkness dwells. And I suspect there's people here with masses of self-rejection upon your life that if we could just relieve you of the backpack of perfectionism that might have been in your family for hundreds of years but you might have been brought up with the love language of performance. If we could just take the backpack off, I've got a feeling that you're going to enjoy life again. 
and his yoke is easy, his burden's light when you exchange your burden for his burden. And I got a feeling because I've been released from it, I'm recovering, I've got to be quite careful in life. This is not going to go away for quite some time, I think, but that's fine because I'm doing life excellently, if not perfectly. And so I want to transfer that and see my dominance and my experience in this realm ushered over you so that I can bring the scissors of the power of God, cut the backpack off your back. So I'll just say, some, I probably said a few of these things already, but here's just four things. And the keyboard player can come back up, Brad. Here's four things. Uh, number one, um, I've called this the new perfect, but maybe that's wrong. That I'll say this, that excellence is variable, that your best uh, this week might be less than your best last week. But it's all right. I think when you're an athlete, uh, when you're running, uh, training for the Olympics, that, that you don't get personal best every week. And so I think for some of you, you know, that, that it might be a cloudy day. Your emotions might get, be getting the best of you. But you can still be excellent in the midst of a little bit of depression. You know, in the midst of a little bit of anxiety, you can still be excellent in the midst of it. So you might not be as fast as you were last week, but, but you can still be excellent while you're sick. You can still be excellent while you're a bit oppressed. You can still be excellent in the midst of, because circumstances change. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't kill yourself that, you know, and even when, when Jesus said to Simon, he said, from now on, your name's going to be Peter. Now it's true or not true, like, Jesus said, you're a reed, you're going to be a rock. But when I read the gospel, sometimes he's called Simon again. And then sometimes he's called Simon Peter, crossover guy. You know, sometimes it's Peter and he's back to Simon. But the book of Acts, it wasn't Simon that stood up, it was Peter who stood up and saw 3,000 saved. So it seems like reinvention is not a linear graph. Seems like reinvention is like two steps forward, one step back. But at least we're moving in the general direction of forward. You know, it says in the Bible that David was a man after God's own heart, and yet there was a patch, wasn't there? Let's face it, where he didn't do so well. But the Bible completely ignores that because God takes a summary of your life. Stop, stop doing post-mortem. Stop being so detailed with detail that God's just automatically placed in the sea of forgetfulness. Uh, number two, it's incremental that, that your personal best will get eventually, will get better. You're being transformed from what? From glory to glory, which, which means in two years' time, I'm going to be stronger, I'm going to be better, there'll be a higher standard of excellence, but, but, but it'll just be me being excellent again with what God's given to me. So your personal best will eventually increase if you just stay under the covering of God. And number three, and I'll finish with this one, that it always, excellence always starts small. And here's the word for you right now, and that is never despise the day of small beginnings. In actual fact, when you don't despise the day of small beginnings, you no longer call them small beginnings. You call them great beginnings. And I think for some of you, there's a spirit of despising you because you equate small with fail, which is something that God never, never does. To God, small is brilliant. 
there's an old man that sits on a bench in a small town in America where, you know, and in America, famous people have been born in every small town. And so a Japanese tourist bus came up and all the Japanese tourists came off with their cameras. And they, when they went up to the old man in the park and, and they said, were any great men born in this place? And he just said, nope. He said, only babies. Don't despise small. Excellence looks at small. It says, one day you'll be big. One day you'll be great. I just think there's a razor edge in this place that that maybe, maybe you know, if you were carrying sharps, actual sharps with you, I could get you just to lay them at the altar. But I suspect that most of them are figments of your imagination. But they still cut. And they still cut bad. Paul says this, forget what's behind. Let's forget the failings. Let's forget the mishaps. And also let's forget the quit spell. Every one of us have like a second life. It's just, it needs to be diminishing. But let's forget the over self-analysis right now. And let's realize, let's press on to the high calling of God that He grabbed a hold of our lives for. There's freedom in this house. Freedom is here just to carry on the conference to the last very minute. Freedom's here. loves you. He accepts you. He forgives you. And you know, people say that He's a second chance God. It's a lie. He's a third chance God, fourth chance God, fifth chance God. He's just a multi-chance God. Let's just close our eyes. The most important